My name is Jan Robinson, and welcome to the College of Veterinarians of Ontario podcast on the emerging and interesting topic of precision medicine. Uh, the college has been providing leadership in innovation and technology as it relates to regulation and veterinary medicine for several years now. Uh, one new initiative in this area is the concept of promoting an ideas hub. Uh, where boots on the ground, veterinarians can listen to podcasts focused on evolving areas of veterinary medicine. Today's topic is precision medicine. And we're really glad to have a panel of distinguished veterinary innovators and researchers um, who are here with me to be part of this discussion. So I'd first like to introduce Dr. Teresa Bernardo, who is an internationally recognized a veterinarian for innovative application of information technology to health and education. And after receiving her DVM from the University of Guelph and a Master's of Epidemiology from the University of Prince Edward Island, both in Canada, she worked in health informatics for, United, for the United Nations and inter-American organizations in the Caribbean and Latin America. Committed to advancing knowledge and improving education for veterinarians, veterinary and graduate students. Dr. Bernardo has contributed to numerous professional organizations on the local and international stage. And as Director of Information Technology at Michigan State University, she integrated technology across teaching, administrative research, and service missions. Currently the IDEX Chair in Emerging Technologies and Preventative Healthcare at the University of Guelph, Dr. Bernardo explores the potential for new technologies to improve the health and wellness of animals and those who care for them. Welcome, Teresa. Thank you, Jim. David Kelton holds, holds the DVM, MSc and PhD degrees all from the University of Guelph. He is a professor of veterinary epidemiology and the Dairy Farmers of Ontario Dairy Cattle Health Research Chair in the Department of Population Medicine at the Ontario Veterinary College. He is a member of uh, many, actually different, uh, uh, various committees, and he teaches uh, dairy cattle health and management in the undergraduate, graduate, and professional curriculum, and is a member of several local and provincial and national working groups dealing with dairy cattle health and welfare. He's co-authored co more than 240 manuscripts in referee journalese. I, I, that, that is uh, journals, that's just, um, an astounding number, actually. Um, his research interests include paratuberculosis, mastitis, and lameness, with a focus on their detection and control in dairy herds and their impacts on health, productivity, and welfare. So welcome, David. Thanks very much, Jan. Pleasure to be here. And Bar Hadar received a DVM from Colorado State University in 2014, and uh, he has a uh, BSc in Animal Health Sciences from California Polytechnic. He has four years of experience working in small animal clinics and a large animal ambulatory practice, as well as operating his own small animal mobile service. During this time, he explored and incorporated new technologies, including 3D printing, which I know not so much about, but I've seen, so I'm intrigued, uh, practice management software, communication platforms, client satisfaction analysis, and health monitoring devices. And he's currently an epidemiology uh, PhD candidate 
at the University of Guelph. Welcome, Bar. Thanks, Jen. Glad to be here. So welcome to each of you and thank you for joining me. So this, is, this concept of precision medicine is not, it's not necessarily new, particularly in research and academia circles, really. It's perhaps even um, got a bit of a foothold, I'd say, uh, Dave, in the area of large animal productive um, management or production management, I should say. For certain though, it's early days uh, as a term to the average veterinarian. Uh, it seems to be an interesting integration of uh, the field of genomics, uh, the, the use of data, of course, uh, and you know we often use the term big data, but you know data generally across the board, uh, and the importance of lifestyle and the environmental context of the animal or the group of animals. And so, uh, Teresa, I'd really like to start with you, actually, and say, uh, where where did you first start to be introduced to this term, precision medicine, and what intrigued you about it the most, and how might you define it? Well, it's a term that we started hearing when they were working on the Human Genome Project. It was finished in 2013. And at first, you'd hear personalized medicine, you'd hear, hear precision medicine. They were used interchangeably, although precision medicine is now more common. I wouldn't even attempt to define it because both the words we are using and what they mean are changing over time as our capabilities change. We're now collecting inconceivable amounts of data, but we have mouths to go in terms of analyzing it in order to make sense of it. So it started with volumes of data from genomics, uh, particularly from whole genome sequencing, but now we have data from high resolution images. And we have continuous data output from all kinds of sensors, including wearables. And I'm glad that you're considering it more broadly than genomics to include things like lifestyle of humans and pets, or management of farm animals, and environmental characteristics like air quality. Data is the foundation for precision medicine, and it's essential that we're able to combine data from a variety of sources to make better decisions. So do you think that uh, this is just part of latest fad you know there the, part of the challenge with technology right is is that there are things we hear about for a period of time and and they're the real buzz and then all of a sudden they're taking a deep dive maybe for a short time but it's hard to know so do you think this is part of a, some latest fad in the evolution of veterinary medicine or here to stay well like many new things there was probably too much hype initially but uh, definitely this is going to have lasting effects uh, <clears throat> precision medicine will have an effect on diagnoses, they'll be more accurate. On prognoses, we'll be able to make better predictions about future health. And lastly, treatment tailored to the individual or groups of individuals with similar characteristics. It's a matter of having more and better data as well as better tools to analyze it. And eventually we'll be able to better understand the individual based on the population data and better understand the population based on data from individuals. We're in very different places in companion animal versus production animal health. We've had herd health and herd level records for decades. On the companion animal side, data on individuals is very siloed, residing in practice management systems and individual clinics. So it can be very challenging to look at populations of companion animals. So when you think about the continuum of care of where, where you'd place the application of precision medicine, what are the benefits that you would see and does it have any downsides? 
I'm going to, like to let uh, my colleague Dave Kelton talk a little more about production animals. Um, I'll use the example of companion animals. And I'd say that the continuum of care starts at home with the lifestyle for pets. Well, as it does on the farm, uh, there's clues to their health in their medical records or production records. And now we're using sensors or various, of various types for continuous monitoring, which can be a source of real-time data about animals and their environment that eventually needs to be integrated with medical and production records. There are concerns about privacy and who owns the data, but we're working through these issues and security is actually much better in the cloud where it can be professionally managed and many more organizations are moving their data to the cloud. Do you know, I was just thinking about something uh, just slightly about this because, you know, um, this concept of data really changing uh, healthcare as we've known it and as you see it, what it brings to mind, and we've been having some conversation uh, about this actually at the college uh, a little bit, is the balance between the data and also the privacy piece. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think we have to strike a balance because there, people are concerned about sharing data. On the other hand, there can be great dangers in not sharing data. I mean, if you look at COVID, this is a perfect example where putting everybody's data together is helping us to manage the pandemic better. Uh, and I think, as I said, we're getting better at managing data, um, moving things into the cloud, there's professional management. Uh, there's also concerns about who owns data. I don't know if David Kelton might want to talk about this because this is particularly an issue uh, with farmers. Yeah. It's an evolving, <laughs> an evolving and changing field, but uh, yeah, absolutely. It's just a, there's so many interesting elements, right? You know, as we talk about this, how do you think this has influenced the research agenda over the last few years? Well, in the case of humans and pets, we've really transitioned from looking at disease to emphasizing health, and now we're looking at health span, not just longevity, but how do how how can we have more years of healthy life? There's uh, the Dog Aging Project based at the University of Washington. It aims to understand how genes, lifestyle, and environment influence aging. They're collecting information of tens of thousands of dogs over the next 10 years to help dogs and people increase their health span, the period of life free from disease. My research team decided to focus on cats, which are underserved when it comes to veterinary care. We started looking at skinny old cats who tend to have kidney failure, sometimes complicated by hyperthyroidism and other diseases. The first thing you want us to know was when does a cat start to lose weight? But there was almost nothing available in the literature. So we managed to get data for millions of cats and to look at what cats weigh at different ages according to their breed and sex. This sounds really basic, but it provided a necessary foundation for further research, and it's a small step towards precision medicine. As you can imagine, we could have things like personalized reference values that could be tailored to individuals or individuals from a particular group. Livestock's further ahead with respect to availability of data, which they use for better nutrition and welfare, and that leads to improved production. But again, my colleague Dave Kelton can speak to that. <laughs> so that's a nice segue, because uh, what I'd like to do is to take us uh, into some practical um, application right at the moment, which of course I know veterinarians love, is that opportunity to say, okay, well, what does this really mean? You know, when we're talking about these this, this broader concept, what does this really mean um, uh, in, in a day-to-day -day way? So, um, Dave, I'm wondering if I can turn over to you first uh, and, and just talk a little bit about 
some examples from the food animal perspective. And if you want to touch on what we were just chatting about a moment before around how uh, producers and veterinarians are managing data and privacy and, 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 and what that looks like, that would also be a really helpful concept to uh, chat about. Thanks, Jen. Um, yeah, a num number of issues, and, and maybe I'll backtrack a little bit and, and make a few comments in, in with, with respect to some of the questions you asked Teresa as well from the sort of large animal perspective. But um, certainly in, in the dairy industry, um, while the term precision dairying or precision dairy medicine is relatively new, we've actually been using precision technologies for over 20 years or perhaps even longer. Um, because it, the, it's, it's been over 20 years now. In fact, it was March 1999 that the first robotic milking system was introduced in North America, and that was right here in Ontario. And, and part and parcel with that came a number of sensors initially, and those sensors have been growing. And, and really in the dairy industry, it's about utilizing sensors um, either on cows or, or mounted permanently to collect data on an ongoing basis. And, there are certainly some challenges to that. Um, we were chatting before the call that uh, I came into my office to uh, get past some of the issues I have from home with rural internet. So there's some issues there. So there's certainly some questions about with the collection of all this data, a lot of it on proprietary platforms and technologies, who actually owns it. Um, I think most of us maintain that the farmers own the data that comes from their animals, but uh, there are others that would challenge that. The companies that develop the technology, a lot of these are black box systems in that the inputs from the sensors go into some kind of a black box that generates data and trying to get into that black box can be a little bit challenging. So um, while we've been at it for, as I said, over 20 years, uh, there's still some some current and unanswered and important questions as, as we get more and more into this. But when you think about precision dairying, you know, we go back and, and we've used um, data for genetic evaluation purposes for lots and lots of decades. Um, and yet, again, as we get more data and more inputs, it's really allowed us to develop the phenotype and genetic evaluation a little bit better and, and all those types of things. Um, so to give you some examples, the sensors that generate these data that we use for decision making in the dairy industry come from sort of two broad types. They're the wearables, things like um, uh, motion or activity sensors. Think of it as Fitbits that are on cows uh, that measure walking, lying time, um, physically where the cow is and so on. And then we've got other things like um, as, as simple as, as things that measure temperature in the animal to uh, boluses that we can put in the rumen to measure rumination time and number of ruminations and, and all those types of things. Um, we also have a whole slew of um, stationary sensors and I mentioned earlier robotic milking systems and so a lot of these systems that try to manage the cow with as little hands-on from, from the dairy farmer as possible, have a lot of sensors to measure everything from the weight of the animal to the animal's body condition, the composition of the milk it, she's producing, how much feed she's, uh, she's taking in, and so on. So there are a lot of really nice examples, a lot of really nice technologies. And so to go back to what Teresa was talking about earlier, as far as you know, the, the applications on the diagnosis side, 
again, these, these Fitbits or activity uh, detection systems were originally developed for heat detection. So a very practical um, initiative to identify cows that, uh, that could be and, and should be bred. But we're also taking those now and, and trying to use them to identify cows with other health issues, things like lameness, for instance. Um, and there's a lot of work ongoing, you know, can we identify lame cows earlier? Um, it certainly has some potential be health benefits as well as some welfare benefits on, on, on that side. So there, there's some really nice diagnostic possibilities and, and some progress being made there. On the prognostic side, um, we can certainly take the inputs from a lot of these things, how much a cow is producing in terms of milk, the composition, how much she's eating, and even measure things like ketones in her milk as an um, indicator of metabolic health and potentially predict, uh, not only identify early, but predict cows that may be running into health issues as, as we move forward. So again, the ability to get some real-time or close to real-time data to manage the health of, of animals and try to understand which ones and, and perhaps predict and, and deal with ones that are going to get sick in sort of the coming hours and days. And then the last area that Teresa mentioned was on the treatment side. And, and so a couple of examples there for you. One of the sort of an, another area of uh, sort of a hot topic these days is the whole issue of antimicrobial resistance. And we certainly know that one of the underlying issues with creating resistant organisms is underdosing animals with antimicrobials. Um, now, traditionally, when we've treated large animals, we've sort of relied on estimated body weights or average body weights and so on, but recognizing that cows, just like every other animal, come in different sizes and shapes and weights with something as simple as an inline uh, scale where we can easily access her body weight, we can dose her much more readily. Um, maybe a final example and a final comment is, is on the ketosis side. So again, early lactation metabolic disease. Um, colleague of ours, Todd Duffield, actually had a really nice study that, that they recently completed up at the Allura Dairy Research Station where um, cows could be identified through the robot with elevated ketones, so were identified as, as being ketotic. And then through the automatic milking system or the robot, really without any intervention on the part of the farmer, it would be possible to change the milking allowances for that particular milking permissions for that cow. So a cow with ketosis with a lot of energy deficit and, and demand could be allowed only to milk one time a week rather, uh, sorry, one time a day rather than twice a day, decreasing her metabolic need um, to support milk production until she gets over that ketosis and so on. So lots of examples, a lot of things that we're working on. Some of these technologies have been out there for a while and, and in use and others uh, from a research perspective, we're still trying to sort out how to use some of these, these data and uh, for the benefit of the cow, the producer and the veterinarian. Great, thank you, Dave, so much. I, I do have a, a, a couple of questions, but I'm actually, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, I think it might be really good if I save them for a couple of minutes and I can ask all three of you around them. Um, Barb, uh, can you share uh, uh, from the small animal uh, perspective? I'd really appreciate some examples from your side. Sure, and so I think like it was mentioned earlier, uh, the competitive animal side is a little behind the large animal production area in terms of 
utilizing these remote sensors and and um, record systems to uh, uh, to have the shift towards more precision medicine. And so one area we wanted to look in in, in our research within our um, uh, veterinary technology lab here was to see uh, how we can leverage these remote monitoring devices in the home setting. Um, and so we decided to focus on a major issue in companion animal medicine, which is obesity. And with you know estimated current uh, um, levels of overweight cats being around 60% and almost 54% in dogs, we thought this is a good place to start in terms of uh, tackling a major issue. Um, and of course, everyone knows that over, uh, obesity and being overweight can lead to a variety of other conditions, including diabetes, orthopedic issues, kidney dysfunction, skin conditions, cancer, et cetera. So we thought this would be a good area to kind of tackle one of these proxy gateway diseases. So we developed a, uh, we wanted to look at if how we could come up with a home technology system that combined it, that combines uh, um, commercially available technologies. And so this included a smart feeder, which can control the, uh, what pet, would identify and control what pet it was able to eat. It would also be able to measure how much food that they're eating, how often they're eating, et cetera, kind of, you know, related to like the dairy cow um, that we just discussed. Um, and we also had that along with having a home scale. So there's a little bit more continuous monitoring from the owners and in, in, in progress of weight loss or lack of weight loss. And an activity monitor that was attached to the to the collar and also a uh, a pet treat camera that would record a would increase engagement with owners um, with their pets and also allow them to observe certain behaviors that they may not have seen otherwise. And we had them face the camera towards the feeder so they could collect these behaviors, especially around uh, feeding and uh, between other cats. And what we found there was that these uh, uh, the owners were well received in terms of the technology. They, 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 you know, we had very good uh, response and feedback using the this ecosystem, and and it in fact uh, led to higher weight loss rates than um, uh, a group that we had comparing it using just traditional methods without this technology ecosystem. And so we're show we were able to show that we were able to get uh, greater weight loss rates and that owners really liked it. And they also felt empowered. It gave the owners a little bit more um, a feeling of control over their own pet's health and um, being able to monitor it and manage it themselves, obviously with a veterinarian included. And then the veterinarian also felt a little bit more uh, empowered in terms of having more tools to continuously monitor and uh, be more efficient in terms of um, you know, weight management strategies. Um, yeah, and so overall, they saw you know the, the most uh, liked uh, um, components of this ecosystem were the scale because they like to have this continual um, weight in the household and being able to measure the food, knowing how much they ate um, and how often they ate and when they ate. And I think those things were um, combined with activity monitor gave us a kind of an idea of what kind of information we can get from these devices. That was another sub-objective. So what kind of data can we get from activity monitors that we can learn about uh, activity trends throughout the cat's life and throughout weight loss, and also how these activity patterns in terms of feeding change throughout a weight loss program and throughout the life of the cat. So sort of a, uh, an empowering piece, both on the medicine side, but also on the owner side, for sure. Yeah. 
And then just, and there are other examples of just using activity data um, for, for just making 3D accelerometer arthritis uh, profiles. So you can diagnose uh, arthritis earlier in dogs and cats, and, if you, and you can uh, uh, monitor response to therapy better, um, and even see what other behaviors they have in terms of the activity monitoring. So is that licking? Is that jumping? Is that running? So kind of delve into the more behavior aspect of these animals with these uh, remote monitoring devices. Interesting. Do you have, do you have a thought? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking, um, Dave and Barr, do you have a thought? I mean, Teresa, you can jump in as well. Do you have a thought on why uh, small animal medicine is lagging behind on the precision side of life versus the food animal or large animal side of the equation? Is that just about the technology development a driver what's the what's the driver that's different do you think i'm happy to jump in first i mean pets are treated more like humans we don't have very good herd health for humans either so uh it was driven by different things in production medicine but i hate to bring this up again but with the current pandemic you can see why it's so important to be able to link individual data and population data and until recently it's been very difficult to do that uh, again, I'm going to let Dave take this away, but they've developed tools, you know, Herd Health started decades ago, and they started with uh, software that would keep track of all these things, and they needed it for basically for profitability and to know what was happening on the farm. I'll pass that over to David. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks, Teresa. No, you're, you're right in that I think there are, are probably a number of differences. One is Certainly on the agricultural side, we're dealing more with a business entity. And, and so, um, you know, agricultural production, um, we work on margins. Um, and, and so we're trying to increase efficiency of production. And certainly these precision tools um, are a big part of that. The other aspect on the agricultural side is while we think we're, we're doing well on the animal agriculture side, in fact, a lot of the headway and, and a lot of the precision ideas have actually come from the crop uh, farming side of agriculture. So, I mean, they've been into the uh, precision game even longer than, than the animal, um, the, the food animal industries have in looking at yields in using uh, GPS guided um, instrumentation, planting, harvesting, um, using soil data, um, environmental data, rain data, and so on. So I think it's been sort of a natural progression on the agricultural side, moving from the crop side then in, into the animal production side as, as well. Barb, Bar, do you have some thoughts on this? Yeah, I think it's been a, I guess, more of a, that, that focus on performance in the, in the large animal and that kind of collective ownership of a, a larger population where you have these owners that while their devices are out there, I, I think it wasn't quite as available and quite, they didn't know exactly how to use them, right? I think that's the, that's the collecting all the information in one area and how to best utilize all this data that is out there and all these devices that are out there. And what is the ultimate performance in, in a cat, in a dog, in these companion animals, so. Yeah, I'd like yeah. to mention too that, I mean, you have herds, you have a whole lot of animals in one place. Uh, and there is a technology factor here in that the records for small animals are kept in practice management systems, which until now have res resided in each clinic separately. It's only in the last few years that we've started moving this data into the cloud 
which at least gives us the possibility, although it's still not easily done, to look at data from more than one animal at a time, to look at what we yeah. can learn from the population. But we also have to look at permissions to do that. I mean, the things aren't set up to do that yet. Uh, so again, and those softwares, those like softwares were focused more on the uh, the business side and scheduling side, and so now we're trying to transition to the new, newer kind of more open approach that we can utilize and, and collect and analyze these medical data for medical uh, healthcare purposes. Super. So so let me just segue that into: Do you think that consumers and clients? So Dave, I was really hearing from your end you know, economics, you know, business, that kind of stuff. This That's a consumer owner driven desire, right? Related to where where the data needs to be in order to help them with uh, some of their decision-making um, as well as the care of the animals. But, you know, that combination. Um, the comments from uh, Barr and from David on how you think consumers and clients will potentially drive or shape precision medicine related to veterinary care in the future? Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll start if I may, Jan. And I think what we're seeing in animal agriculture in, in general, and that's true of the dairy industry, is that milk buyers, processors, and consumers want more information about where their food comes from, um, about the animals, about how those animals are kept, um, how they're produced, the health and, and welfare of those animals. And I think precision technologies are going to play quite a big role uh, moving forward in, in um, gathering the data, uh, allowing for verification of, of the quality of care and, and all those types of things. Um, and something that uh, producers are going to be able to point to as uh, as evidence of of that quality of care rather than you know say well take my word for it i'm taking good care of my animals right so um health records performance records welfare um all, all those types of things so i think while the precision the sort of the evolution of, of precision dairying has come from industry and come from producers and and their advisors wanting more information I think we're going to see it pushed even further by the um, by the end users and, and by consumers. Interesting. Uh, Barr, how would you add to that from the small animal side? Yeah, I think I think the same. I think the I think it's actually already uh, that the demand in the small animal side is already there, and it's mm -hmm. only going to grow. You know, especially with uh, everyone today, especially the millennial and the Gen Zs, right, our primary uh, um, pet population owners. Are, are relying more on these technologies in everyday life, and so they already are using these devices in the home setting, and 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 maybe they don't know exactly what it means, but they're going to be coming to the veterinarian with all this data. And what does this mean? What are you know? What are all these um, uh, data from these devices, and what what can that tell about the health of my animals? So I think they're going to uh, lean more on these precision technologies, and they're going to um, want to be more engaged in the monitoring and management of the healthcare of their pets. And so they're going to be pushing for this utilization of these technologies and asking the veterinarian, how can, you know, how can I best use this and how can I, what does it all mean? And then I'll push the veterinarians to be able to, you know, A, have to use it and A, figure out, and B, figure out how um, to make this data useful and actionable. Nudges happen in interesting ways, don't they? And I could, you know, we've just experienced a major nudge in the last four months. So it'll be interesting to see how, how this next nudge occurs. 
All right. So as we uh, thank you for that, as we come to a close, uh, Teresa, um, if you took out your crystal ball, can, you've got it right there. I can see it. Um, can you share any further insights uh, for veterinarians listening to this discussion to consider in order to navigate uh, what for many will be an emerging new frontier? Hmm. Well, I'm going to see what I want to see in the crystal ball. <laughs> so I'm going to say a word about One Health, which seems very pertinent right now. But I think, you know, we've done a lot on data collection. We really have a lot to do about data analysis. Uh, and we can't do that until we have data interoperability, until we're able to combine data from various sources. But really, if we want to tackle some of the big problems we face in the future, whether it's climate change or pandemics, we need to learn how to bring data together uh, from animals, from humans, from the environment to make better decisions. Wonderful. So thank you so much to our panel for helping unpack you know, this fascinating and developing area of precision medicine. And as you pointed out, Dave, not so new, but certainly as, uh, you know, Barr is pointing out and uh, Teresa is certainly complimenting with the breadth of this, you know, galloping. We're now sort of galloping forward on it. And so I would say to um, our, our, our listeners, you know, please stay tuned for future topics uh, that will uh, stimulate our collective thinking on the future of veterinary medicine in Ontario, but certainly well beyond these borders. So thanks again to each of you. Thanks very Jen. much, Jan. Happy to be a part of it. Thanks, Jan. Thanks. Great discussion.